Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. Welcome to the latest episode of Soccer in the City. Tom Kolker, Glenn Crooks, Roberto Bromowitz. We may have a special guest joining us, John Rojas is on the road in transit. Uh, we'll, we'll hopefully hear from him in the next couple episodes, but uh, we may have a, a surprise guest, a special guest coming on at some point in the podcast. But boys, uh, a lot to talk about in this one. Obviously, so much New York City soccer and MLS. We may touch a little bit on the Euros, uh, but New York City, what a difference a, a week and a half makes now in fourth position in the still relatively young MLS season on 17 points. Back-to-back wins, one nothing over Atlanta, the dramatic 2-1 win against D.C. United and Roberto and Glenn. I guess that's where we have to start. And, you know, for those people who don't know us that well, we all call lots of different sports. Roberto does NFL, longtime basketball with the Knicks. Glenn does college basketball. I do college basketball and football. So, you know, guys, in, in every other sport, from a broadcast perspective, we get a chance to call game winners. It's pretty rare in soccer. I mean, basketball, obviously, you have, you have the, the three-point basket to win the game. In baseball, you have the walk-off. In football, you have the Hail Mary or a game-winning play, like something like that. But in soccer, it is very rare to have what I would call a game-winning call or moment. But it happened this past weekend. And Glenn and Roberto, both your calls were fantastic uh, of the finish. What a dramatic finish. Uh, Tiago dribbling down the field, scoring the goal at the very end of stoppage time. First, you can go back, rewind the tape, as Glenn always likes to say. And it was a, a, f- a corner kick for DC United, a nice save by Sean Johnson, which then allowed that play to develop and happen. But, um, you know, I know, Glenn, you have been around the game for a long time now as a, a broadcaster and a coach. And Roberto has been around the game for a long time as a reporter and a broadcaster. But um, for me personally, just as being someone around the game um, for the last, you know, since 2015 with New York City FC, rarely have I ever been a part or seen a, a dramatic finish like that. So let's just start there because it was yeah. what a wild finish. <laughs> yeah, I don't think uh, I think it's safe to say that that's the uh, we we haven't seen a celebration like that. That's for sure. How the players reacted and it all had to do with the situation down a goal with six minutes to play. Parks equalizes on the corner and then. Yeah, point blank save. Johnson just makes himself big on that corner. Ariola hits it. It's pretty much off his chest, but the ball squirts out. And Julian Gressel, I think when he looks back at that, yeah, he may wonder, you know, why did I? DC United would have to be happy with a draw coming out of there, you know? So he whips a service in, and that just sets up the counterattack, which you're not allowed to do in soccer. When you're coached, there are no counterattacks off of corners. And the first thing Matty Lawrence said, uh, you know, even I think it was right after I finished my call and he was able to comment. The first thing he said is Donovan Pine should have should have fouled him at the at the half line. He should have fouled him at halfway, taken one for the team. He definitely would have been red carded. And that's it. Game would have ended. Maybe, you know, you get a, a long free kick from that spot and New York City wouldn't have gained the three points. But that's just that's one of the stories around that. I mean, there, there's so many, and, uh, you know, it ends with uh, Tiago, who, uh, against Pines again, first he runs past him, then he does the Cruyff to get it to the left, and he finishes uh, beautifully past uh, Bill Hamid, which is not uh, easy to do. Very quickly, Mitch Buonagoro, Fairfield University, at St. Peter's University, in the MAC tournament semifinals, uh, at the death, runs out of his technical area, whatever they call it in, in basketball, gets a technical foul. Willie Haynes for St. Peter's hits two free throws, and St. Peter's down a point, 
comes back and wins the game because Mitch Buonagoro ran out of the box and, and looked at the St. Peter's bench celebrating what was he thought was a win. But that was uh, that was my uh, previous <laughs> my previous most uh, memorable call <laughs> as a commentator. But uh, yeah, I mean, we've, there's a lot to digest here with this, but uh, it was fun. Uh, it was thrilling. And Tom, you and I, uh, you know, the 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 uh, the atmosphere and the excitement of that opener in Orlando in 2015 and a mixed disco route scores the first goal. It looks like New York City might even win the game. I mean, that, there, there was a thrill there, but nothing compares to this uh, this particular moment, you know, and it's for a regular season game to have that sort of a, a thrill is, uh, you know, I think it's going to be longstanding for New York City. They're contenders, man. And. Uh, you know, they're contenders, and uh, that, that's going to be a moment that really uh, resonates the rest of the year, I think. There's so much to talk about this thing. Um, I remember back, the probably the most dramatic finish for New York City was a game against Chicago Fire at Yankee Stadium where New York City got a red card somewhere in the 20-something minute. 19. And New York City came down from 2 nothing down. Um, and uh, they scored a goal just before halftime, and then they came back and scored the tying goal, Kyrie Shelton, in either the last minute or in stoppage time. He winds up scoring uh, the, the tying goal at Yankee Stadium. That one reminds me, and then the other most exciting game was probably the the win, the, the 3-2 win over yeah. the Red Bulls at Yankee Stadium with David, David Villa got the hat trick. Uh, Bradley Wright Phillips got two goals for uh, for the Red Bulls. So as far as those games are concerned, New York City, I look at those games as probably being the most exciting New York City games. Um, yeah, as, as Tom mentioned, I, I called a lot of sports. And uh, I remember calling the uh, the World Championships of Hockey and uh, it was the U, which team was this? Okay, so it was the young U.S. team, right? It was a young U.S. team. And uh, they were playing against the Swedes in the, set, in the quarterfinals or the semifinals of the tournament. It was the quarterfinals of the tournament. And in overtime, they wound up winning it. And there's a clip somewhere floating on the internet of me calling that going back and forth and it was insane because over time it was like three on three and uh, the hmm. swedish team wound up losing the puck and the u.s team just came back and scored or whatever the u.s or the combined i think it was you combined u.s canada team but it was all young kids it was like their u23s and uh, they were you know they were fantastic and it was a ridiculous goal uh to win that and great for them to be able to do that um and so I, I've called a lot of buzzer beaters in the NBA and last second field goals and touchdowns. Uh, I remember calling the Greg, um, who was it? Uh, the uh, Aaron Rodgers uh, Hail Mary against the Detroit Lions on Thursday night football. That one's floating around someplace as well. So, I mean, I've done a lot, but this one, you know, th th this one got me because of the nature look, of the Look game. at Roberto throwing the NFL out at me. I've got college hoops. In Jersey City, baby. But I've done a lot of college <laughs> basketball ones. Now I can now before Roberto continues on my claim, one of my athletic claims to fame, which there are yeah. many. Uh, when I was 11 years old on our select basketball <laughs> team, we were down a point. Uh, other team inbounding from half court. I steal the inbounds pass, drive to the basket, pull up from the free throw line, hit the game winner. It was the championship game. We won. So that's. <laughs> Havlicek well, stole the ball. Yeah. Havlicek stole the ball. Yeah. Havlicek stole the ball. What was that right. guy's name in Boston? Yeah. Uh, what, what was there? Uh... Johnny Most. Johnny Most. Okay, yeah. thank you. But go on, Roberto. Johnny Most. But see, now now Tom has just one-upped all of us because this is something he actually did. We were just documenting what other people were doing, and now he comes and throws in our face something that he did as an 11-year-old. It did lead to a championship. I mean, so, hey, I saved a ball off the line at the buzzer at the Dawn the Dark, uh, Dark Festival, sponsored by Soccer America, on the 1980 <laughs> U.S. Olympic rink with carpet on top of it in Lake Placid, and uh, 
it was a big moment. We won our won the championship. It was one of these things where you were there for four days. Three of them, you just got toasted at night, and then you came back and played games the next day. But everybody took it seriously. Just you know, maybe not quite as effective as they would have been. <laughs> All right, fine. I got one more for you. Uh, we played at in Mexico City during the 1986 World Cup. Uh, the, we played a, a media tournament, and uh, we wound up winning the media tournament playing where. Cruz Azul used to play before they moved back to Estadio Azteca, which is Ciudad de los Deportes. And our boy, our good friend, Steve Goldberg, uh, scored one of the goals in, a, in the penalty kick shootout. I didn't take a penalty kick. I was hopefully going to take one, but didn't. But uh, he did, and uh, we won the gold medal. So there, there you go. All right. Can we take this any deeper into no. the... Let's go back to... Let's go back to... Let's go back to... Let's go back to the, uh, the, the match itself. And um, yeah, yeah. But I, I thought of you immediately after the, the goal. And I'm just I thinking, know what you're going to say. Are you no, going to say Park's goal? Oh, yeah. go ahead. Yes. Yeah. 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 Go ahead. Nobody, nobody on the post. Nobody on the post. Yeah. yeah. You know, but, you know, Maddie Lawrence beat me to the punch. He goes, that's a pet peeve of mine. I didn't even know it was. And you guys know it's a pet peeve of mine. And Roberto, you yeah. followed up nicely on social media times with this. And uh I'm glad you thought of me immediately, Tom, because it was like you look at the replay and it's like, well, somebody was standing there, man. They just would have headed it off the line. It was a great finish. Yeah, no question about it. But uh, that's I don't know. There you go. There you go. It would have been close if they could have headed that. I mean, because of the fact that it was like it, the ball is coming in so quick and he, sure. and, and he deflects it. I mean, it might have wound up You're right. being, you know, it might not guarantee. You're right. Right. You're right. It's not not guarantee, but he definitely would have had a better chance. Something that you had said uh, on the build up towards the, the last play that uh, Gressel should have taken the uh, the ball to the corner. Hernando Sada doesn't do that. And in this podcast, good for Ariel him. Judas <laughs> last week told us is that that's not his M.O. He's not doing that. He's going for the win at all times. And that's what they did. They were true to what he wants them to do. He went, they went for it. They tried to score a goal. They had everybody up. They tried to, they tried to win it. And Sean Johnson got his, got his big chest out there and he made one save. And then when the ball came back in, he hung on to it. And good for him to see who he had around and who was around. And it was the fastest guy probably in the league. And, uh, boy, you put speed and skill together, and that's exactly what you get. Well, I uh, guess maybe Donovan Pines should have probably tried to knock him down. But uh, also, I don't know if Donovan Pines could have caught him. I don't know if Donovan Pines well, could have knocked him. Well, if, go ahead. Go ahead. No, you go ahead. No, I was going to say from a – that's what I would ask you, Glenn. When you break down, you know, from Pines' perspective, first of all, the lack of effort initially to get out there, and then – the angle he took to try to get there. It was just, if you could post a clip of how not to defend, <laughs> I mean, it seemed like he did everything incorrectly on that play. Well, I actually made contact with uh, uh, Robert Sabiga the next morning and uh, who I'm pretty friendly with. He was the referee on the game. Uh, as we welcome in Ariel Hudis, uh, Tom, I know you said we have a special guest and look who pops up on the screen. Hi, Ariel. Hi, Ariel. Hey, guys, how are you? What's oh. happening? So we're talking about. So I talked to Robert Sabiga, well, uh, communicated through uh, text or email. And so I asked him two things. I said, were you were you anticipating uh, or I said, we said on the broadcast that Pines should have taken Tiago out and, and taken one for the team. And then uh, and then on his own. he So first he said, uh we, meaning him and the other officials, expected Pines to, to foul him. They were like anticipated. They were ready for it. And he was all ready to do whatever he needed to do as the referee to uh, yellow, red, whatever it took. And but he also said the the foul on Maxi Morales, where there was a bit of an appeal and we saw the replays for a, a red card. Uh, he thought that uh, the, the way he thought he made it right. He said it was a yellow card. It was. It was not harsh enough to be a red because I don't know if you guys debated that on your broadcast, but it was a bit of a, you know, we were looking at it pretty close. So we, we concluded it should have been yellow, too. But I thought that was interesting from Sabiga that they were all ready for it, but he didn't do it. But even going back to Pines, if he just takes a better angle, 
there's a chance that he gets in front of Tiago. Yeah. I mean, if, you can see no, right. he's a little lazy to start on the run. And then it's just a terrible angle to try and cut him off. And then it was too late. You're right. You cut a defender. You don't run. You don't run to where they're carrying the ball. You run to the spot where they're going to end up. You cut them off at the pass. That's the way you always do it. You angle back I, to the to the near post. You get to that spot. And uh, if he had started that run earlier, you know, who knows? Uh, Tiago still could have pushed it past him and avoided him, too. But, uh, you know, yeah. if Harvey Corman was here in Blazing Saddles, he would have shot you for that. Which part? Blazing Saddles for cut him off at the pass. <laughs> that's why I always describe that. That that's that's how I teach defense. They get that when you defenders. Sometimes it's a little hard. You know, you got to you walk through it and stuff. You say cut them off at the pass. Then they get it, you know. <laughs> get, get at an angle you can cut them off so uh and then i i just think um tyler's magno came in and i think he provided a little bit too and isn't it interesting that the, it's castellanos and medina coming off and that ends up those two youngsters end up helping to provide the spark along with santi rodriguez who was i thought also very very sharp and influential in, in, in some of the things he did too so there's some uh, that and that's it. And once again, Ronnie Dyla, he's a lot better coach, man, when he's got all these options, isn't he? Ariel, you know? we, Ariel we were talking about the dramatic finish just from your perspective as someone who's covered the league and for a long time in soccer in general. Where, where does this rank for you? I mean, uh, NYCFC is now the, is now a, obviously a much better team. They have many options uh, to 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 put into uh, on the table right now that they didn't have four weeks ago. So uh, I wouldn't say it makes it makes this seem a, a new a new different team, but the options are are very nice for for Dyla to have and to uh, administer the the quality these guys have. I'm very impressed with uh, with Thiago. I, I think that the uh, uh, out of the three that uh, the young guys that have come to the team that joined the team, he somehow feels better or feels more free to do this sort of things. He's he's it, it, I will be I, I will be obvious. He's very Brazilian. He's doing things that you can only find in Brazilian guys. Not uh, not in South not in South America in general. Not in Argentina. Not in Uruguay. Not in Colombia. Not in Jersey. Yeah, he's very Brazilian, and that's that's fine. That's uh, that's awesome. But uh, Ariel, don't just leave it that way. Define that more specifically. What do you mean? The way he cut the ball just before shooting—that's that's 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 something we also in Romario in 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 very talented players in in Brazilian history in Ronaldo too. Not Cristiano Ronaldo, the Brazilian yeah. guy, the, the big guy. Um, <laughs> Uh, the big Ronaldo. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I think that's fantastic. This is something that we haven't seen so often in, in MLS. So I, I feel this is good for, 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 for the audience to, to, to start to get these kind of players uh, up close and on a regular basis and uh, week after week. If we're starting to see... These sort of things, obviously, Major League Soccer will be better. New York City will be better, and uh, more Brazilians will come, which is an, an, an awesome thing. Yeah, I was going to say that's not a bad thing. You know, this continues like this, right? I mean, they're going to sell tickets. There's just no doubt that these guys are going to start putting fans in seats because they're a show. I mean, Thiago, what he's done so far, and the goals that he scored, and the runs that he makes, and uh, and the cutback that you earlier described as Cruyff-like and uh, Ariel described, you know, Ronaldo, Ronaldinho, you know, any one of the most talented Brazilians you've heard of. I mean, the, the, this is a type of play that you're going to start expecting these guys to do on a game-by-game -game basis. You know, the people are going to come, especially because it's going to be a winning team. We already know that they've got depth of the wazoo now, and they still have a designated player to get, mind you. Right. And it's going to be an attacking player. So uh, it's going to be a fun team. It's going to be a fun rest of the season as long as the team can stay healthy. And then Ever still has to get back. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it looks like um, 
Tiago especially has a flair for these sort of plays and actions in the field. There's a very Brazilian expression, a very typical expression in Brazil saying, show the bola. I mean, uh, everything is a show when you're playing soccer and, <laughs> and, and, and he's doing that. It's been uh, very recent, his uh, introduction to, to the team and to the league, but he's starting to show that. He's all for showing himself, all for uh, uh, entertaining yeah, people. Just- yeah, enter- yeah enter- you entertain by scoring. His two goals yeah. were class. Yeah. Those were class yeah. finishes, man. Definitely, yeah. You know, and, uh, you know, that's part of the entertainment, but that, that's good to hear. Well, these Brazilian guys, I mean, they're they're just, you could tell, they just, they, they enjoy life, you know, and I, 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 and I know that's kind of the standard in the country. That's right, uh, Ariel. It's just, uh, they're generally speaking, you know, we're always generalizing because, you know, there's exceptions to all yeah. the different uh, stereotypical rules. But uh, they're positive, happy people. Dance, you know, their culture is dance. You yeah. Know, Jenga. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, dance uh, and rhythm. Dance and yeah. rhythm. And like you said, entertaining. And that's the way they want to go about it, man. I guess and, the only and, thing we've heard about Brazilians is that they like the party. That's the other thing we've heard about Brazilian athletes, that sometimes they that's caused a bit of an issue on teams. I'm not saying the MLS teams. I'm not saying these guys that are on New York City. Well, of course, they like to party. I mean, everybody likes to party in, in, in a way. <laughs> but uh, uh, Brazil is so rich uh, comparing different regions and cities and ways of understanding and playing soccer. Uh, for instance, Porto Alegre and Sao Paulo are more industrials at the heart of the industry in Brazil. So players are more similar to the ones you, you can find in Europe. Rio and Bahia and the Northeast is uh, crazy soccer, crazy talented soccer, more uh, uh, bohemian, if you like, more uh, uh, caring about enjoying soccer more than anything. So. I think uh, this guy is, is, I think he's from Bahia. So it makes sense that he's playing the way he's playing. Cool, man. Cool. It's interesting well, to think, Glenn and, and, and Tom and Ariel, that you have a, a Nordic coach, right? And the juxtaposition of a Nordic coach with the Brazilian flair and warmth and... Uh, happiness that they that that they bring to the game now i'm not saying that ronnie is like by the book strict mechanical or anything like that but you know yeah yeah it's true nordic's a little bit you know chillier (laughs) do you guys think as they continue to develop and play that um they will both eventually just be regulars in the starting 11 i not in a while but you know tiago certainly has that opportunity i think tyler's you could see has a has a more of a ways to go i mean tiago has stepped i mean i mean there's there's no issue with him man playing i mean he he's done everything right yeah he yeah he he works hard to guide defense you know he was doing things defensively too that i mean you know he was He's he has stepped right in. I think Tylus is going to take a little bit longer. But uh, look, hey, look, I I'm looking for I'm looking forward to the moment. I want to I want to see Tiago, Tylus, and Eber on, on that front line together, man. I want to see a Brazilian front three. The moment that Eber come comes back to the field, uh, Tylus Magno will feel so much better and will play with him. I'm not saying that he's not playing or engaging with Castellanos, for instance, or Maxi or Medina. He's he's doing that uh, as best as he can. But the moment uh, ever is the, the man in the front, in the in the number nine, he will play for him and he will try to connect with him and he will recognize he's the veteran in the team, the Brazilian veteran, and he will try to uh, get on well with him at least at the beginning yeah. so we'll, we'll see interesting things from him yeah well the culture that ronnie dyla is uh, building within this team is is going it's going to get tested when everybody comes back and is healthy yeah. because uh and, and ronnie says he communicates with every player and we're talking about people like ishmael to jury shradi who um has been visi- visibly upset uh after two matches one he didn't start and one that he did start that uh, he feels like he should be a regular in the 11. You know, he just feels strongly about that. But 
I don't think it's anything that's disruptive to the team, but he has said it publicly. So Ronnie Dyla is going to really, I, I think he's got a, and it's a favorable challenge. If you're a head coach, you like to have options and choices and we know there's going to be a lot of matches and, and Castellanos and Medina, let's face it. They kind of, they broke down a bit, but they played Medina play, has played every minute, but one going into that match. And yeah. Castellanos has missed like eight minutes. So it's like, you know, these guys are, they put in the miles and they, you know, both worked so hard from start to finish. And I think they finally, they finally dropped and Medina got a little, I know he got a little hurt, but maybe that's one of the reasons why. I don't know. So you got the, uh, the young legs that came in. I wanted to talk about Maxime Chino a little bit uh, and some of the frustrations in front of goal for him, three headed shots, two of them free, you know, and these are the moments and I give Rob Vertugi and, Let's three corner kick goals, guys, all off of front post. Two flicks. Uh, Shradi scored and Castellano scored off of flicks by Alfredo Morales. And then Keaton Parks winning it at the front post and scoring. And then uh, and then the times that Cheneau, uh was set up uh, for, for off of off of free kicks or set pieces or corners. Three headed shots, two free, all of them over the bar. I don't know how you guys saw that or called it, but. Uh, especially the very first one. It was a free kick from Maxi, and he ran in free. To me, he did like all the hard work to get himself free, and then he headed it over the bar. And uh, I just, uh, there's got to be a point where he's no longer the focal point. He's no longer the target. Let's try somebody else. But I don't know. Well, Parks got a chance, and uh, he was a target on that play. And I mean, he fought hard to get that goal because Gressel was all over him. And I remember that during my play-by-play, I was talking about how those two guys were really battling in for position in front. And then he made a real good run in using a player as a screen to be able to get around, you know, going more towards the penalty, you know, away from the goal. Meanwhile, Gressel had to come from the other side. And by the time he got there, it was way too late. Um, and that, I believe, now is a ninth uh set piece goal by new york city so far this year which is remember back 2015 16 17 this team was like rare on set piece goals i mean they just couldn't yeah i mean they were bad and now they're one of the top teams in the league you know you've got to fear them on set pieces i mean they're really really good and if it's robert vertugian is doing you know doing the work on that well credit to him not bad for a quote-unquote goalie coach. Well, he's he's an assistant coach. He coaches yes, I the know, goalkeepers. That's what he started up. At, yes. Yeah, he's uh, no, he, he's 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 got it. I still think he needs to address the walls that are set up on the defensive side of the. Oh yes, but the no doubt. But his attacking no doubt are in uh, very good <laughs> shape. New York City. So Tom, did you know this? This was in the optostats, which I didn't. I I happened to see like seconds before the game. I don't know. I, I opened something up. New York City has now scored in 21 consecutive games, all competitions, which they are the active leader in MLS in that statistic. But by scoring against uh, uh, DC United uh, in the last match, they set a club record. That's a franchise record scoring yes, in 21 straight. So isn't that um, that's something that's uh, that's somewhat of a statement, because I know we've often talked about, well, they could finish more. I just talked about Chanel, you know. And, but those moments are critical. You know, the game could have been, you know, could have been more secure by them. But, uh, you know, the fact they're they're consistently getting something in every match and their foundation defensively. I mean, normally, with the exception of the New England match, they're defending very well. So I think with everything going on, it certainly bodes well. Yeah, but, well, not, not having a, you know, a, a VAS striker. And it's still having a stat like that is, you know, speaks to how well the team has played overall as a group and different guys stepping up at different times, whether it's, you know, it was Castellanos to start the year or now, you know, the young Brazilians coming on uh, Medina playing a little bit better. So that, no, that is uh, that's, that's a good stat to, to think about. And if you guys just think about, you know, the last two weeks, you know, the one, nothing went over Atlanta. And now the two, one, win, the dramatic went over DC. So some momentum moving forward, getting set to take on Montreal in their next match. Um, Roberto, who is, if you kind of take the last two matches as a whole, has any one or two players really stood out to you in terms of their overall performance? I mean, obviously the, the dramatics of Tiago speak for themselves, but just as a, as a whole, you know, what, what, you know, either player or maybe something on the offense or de- defensive side has really stood out to you in the two wins. 
Yeah, it has actually. But let me go back to one thing because I think it's important. You mentioned uh, New York not having an out-and-out striker, right? Well, you know, Tati is, but uh, he isn't in many ways. And Glenn has talked about this. So New York City has 18 goals in 10 games. They're third in the league in goals scored behind Sporting Kansas City, who has 22 goals in 12 games, and the Seattle Sounders, who have 20 goals in 11 games. So New York City can be on top of that if they can get uh, four goals in the next uh, two games. I've been really impressed with uh, Nicolas Acevedo. I mean, here's a guy who has really understood what the challenge is in MLS, and it, it took him all of last year to understand, you know, that everything here is a hell of a lot quicker than it is in Uruguay. I'm not saying it's better. I'm just saying it's quicker. And that he doesn't have the luxury to stay on the ball and to think about what he's going to do. He's got to react quicker and act quicker and think quicker. And it was a challenge for him last year. Ronnie spoke about it last year. Uh, I got a chance to speak to Nicolas earlier this season when they finally opened up practice. And he said it was one of the first things he said was it was really difficult for him to get used to the rhythm of the game here and how quick everything happened. Now that he's used to the game and he's used to the pace and and the quickness, the, the guy has shown really, really well. This is the guy that we were expecting to get last year and we haven't gotten. This year we have. And it makes New York City miss Alex Ring even less because now you've got so many good guys who can play that one position where now you're trying to find maybe other positions to be able to play some of the other ones, or now you've got guys who are on the bench. So, you know, James Sands would normally play that position. Well, James Sands is now playing at the back four. Uh, you have, you brought in um, Morales, right? Now, Alfredo Morales, because Morales is supposed to play that position. Well, Alfredo Morales hasn't been able to, to, to get maybe as many minutes as one would think that he'd be getting because Acevedo is doing as well as he has. And this bodes very well because he's very, very young. He's going to get better. He's going to understand everything better. And at some point, I mean, aside from the fact that he's helping the team now and will help them in the future, at some point he's going to wind up getting sold off to Europe for a lot of money. So that's going to be, I mean, all of those things are positives. And there's a thing that maybe we don't realize when we analyze or talk about Acevedo. I believe that he's never played in, on, 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 on fields of the quality we have in Major League Soccer. I mean, in Uruguay, there's maybe a couple of uh, stadiums that have a playing surface as good as the we have in MLS. So he's used to playing in rough uh, patches of uh, soccer fields. And uh, I think that uh, when he got here, he um, needed a sort of a retrain in order to, to see how the, the ball uh, bounces and, and plays and, and whatever. It's more or less the same as when M Major League Soccer go to artificial turf fields and... Uh, He's he's doing that. He's he's learning that. I think he's he's already learned. But he's used to to playing in good playing uh, fields, and he's never been able to do that in your yeah, life. You know that came up on a on a Twitter Spaces that uh, Roberto and I uh, we've done a couple, and uh, we've had some Uruguayan supporters yeah uh, chat with us, and they brought that up. Yeah, but I would twist that in the other direction. I mean, if you're going from you know bumpy fields with holes and not a lot of grass and things like that to a perfect pitch that's much easier to acclimate to than if you were going to from the perfect pitch I to agree the, to the I fields agree. of Uruguay you know I, I don't see that as being a, a real you know no, something to get used to it's just like oh my god I mean you, may, you maybe have to get used to the, I'm <laughs> the just fact that, that when you hit a ball firm yeah. over 20 yards on the deck it actually goes right to where you played it I'm just saying that he's discovering that he's uh, he, he's feeling that whenever he shoots the ball too, the ball goes uh, fine to in that direction, and that's something yeah. that usually that don't happen in Uruguay, uh, or sometimes it doesn't happen in Uruguay. So uh, I, I mean, maybe you have a couple of good 
fields in Uruguay and that's it. The rest of the, <laughs> the first the, division is, is crazy. They're playing in, in, in very rough conditions. Ariel, well. yeah. has anybody else, who else has stood out to you over these last few weeks? I, I, I'm not, I'm going to be original. I would say that Maxi has played uh, very well in the last couple of games, especially in the last one. And I've liked uh, what I've seen from the other Morales, Alfredo Morales. He's not played that much, but uh, what I saw, I liked. Well, he'll be back in. Hey, one other thing that uh, Ronnie said in the pregame about Acevedo, because we talked about him, uh, he, he, he made it more... He did say, you know, getting used to the pace of the game, Roberto, but he made it more about strength. And he said, actually, in his short time here with the athletic uh, performance coaches, the physical trainers, that he's gained a lot of muscle and strength. Yeah. And that that's a big part of him also being more comfortable in that position where, you know, there's a lot going on in the middle of the park there. So the uh, D.C. United is still winless on the road in this series. Seven games, no wins away from both Audi Field and let's not leave RFK out of it, man. <laughs> yeah. Well, most They're of the games It's a historic RFK. treasure. Hey, uh, turns out I was wrong. Tiago Andrade is from a small town in the state of Sao Paulo. So he's uh, an ah. industrial guy, but somehow he plays with the flair. So <laughs> we'll see. And he's, uh, the, the name of the town is Araras, A R A. R-A-S, Araras, and he's uh, one of the two notable residents of, of that town. And the other one is uh, a lady who's an economic historian, so we don't know about her, but we know about Tiago. <laughs> well done. How, how, fast, how fast can you or she run the 40? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, well, that's, uh, look, it's uh, now, now they've got a little time to breathe. Actually, yeah. two, the next two matches, the next Wednesday... Uh, at Montreal, but in Orlando, that's the home match for Montreal, whose next home match that we could all watch on the Saturday is against Miami, and that's at Red Bull Arena. So just craziness for this poor uh, Montreal Ooh, side. We should go. I, I, I just saw it today, and I can't go. I, I'm already, uh, I think I'm already occupied. So I uh, do some scouting. Should- I know. That's it. I, yeah. Get to the press box. Well, you guys, out. you look yeah. at, let's talk about the July schedule. I mean, it's compact. You have two matches against Montreal, obviously July 7th, and then a rematch on the 21st, two matches against Columbus, uh, July 17th. And then the last uh, match of July, New York City at home and one game against Orlando in between there. So, I mean, obviously with the, the COVID situation and the way the schedule is laid out, you knew it was going to be Eastern Conference heavy, but there's uh, a lot of points to be had this this month coming up. Yeah. Well, it was four matches in, what is that? What's seventh in, in less than two weeks from uh, at Columbus on July 17th at their new stadium uh, to home to Columbus on July 30th. Yeah, that's an odd schedule, but when you're only playing Eastern Conference teams, so you're playing Montreal twice out of three games and then you're playing Columbus Twice, twice out of four games so it's uh it's a little nutty but yeah you know you don't have to none spend of those much. flights are over two and a half hours yeah yep still uh covid oriented but I tell you, everybody's opening up their stadiums how about wembley today gee whiz i mean uh, you know the england germany match man it was just it, i thought england england if people are coming from england we don't even let them in right now right i don't think they can come unless they've got special they or they have a green card they live here or or something but you can't even you can't fly from england to the states without some sort of special dispensation yet at wembley they're freaking all over each other no no 45000 they limited it to 45000 people yeah and, and wembley's of course, a lot bigger than that so what are you saying did you watch the match they yes. were all over each other. They compacted them all Again. like in the same area. I'm just all saying, well, I don't, well, I don't know what, well. that's what it looked like to me. I mean, did you see after the goals, everybody's celebrating? I mean, it was, uh, I don't know, man. I don't mean to be the uh, buzz killer, but bad news. I think, no, but I just think, uh, I think we should be more careful. I just, I don't, I think everything is opening up too quickly. How's that? Uh, right. when, it, it might be. I, I Depending where. Huh? It's, it's it's different to soccer, but did you see footage from these days at uh, Orlando 
Disney World or whatever, the amusement park, theme parks. No, no. There. Are they packed? Oh, yeah. Oh, boy. But I mean, those were the, well, listen. But, you know, well, if, Orlando's uh, Florida's been playing by their own rules this whole time, anyway. So, yeah, <laughs> they're in a little bit well, of a different playing field. To, have to trust the local I, mean, I don't know how they separated everybody. Wembley holds eighty-seven thousand. Okay, well, just look at some of the footage from today and just let me know what you think. Like, seriously, I, I if if that's the way it's going to be, that's the way it's going to be. I mean, if that's where we're at, yeah. All right, I don't have to go to the game. You know, if everybody else wants to do it, but. As we've seen with COVID, it's not just what you do in terms of a responsible manner. It's what many others do and, and no, where they travel to no, and things, absolutely. you know, Even so it's vaccinated uh, people, you know, I still know. have to be very careful around people who might not be vaccinated. Yeah. Hey, we and were talking. Wind up spreading it, too. Hey, I, I, I talked to uh, John Molinero today. He's a freelance writer for Toronto FC because I wrote I said, right, we're going to chat tonight. Love to know what's going on with Altador. He said Altador is still training on his own away from the rest of the team. Now, remember when Ali Curtis said, we're going to resolve this thing during the international break. Well, that's long, long over. So John said he spoke to Ali two weeks ago and he said the situation is trying to be resolved. It's still not resolved. Uh, But in John's opinion, he's played his last game for Toronto. I don't think that's a a unique opinion. They've had a month. Can I start a rumor and then kill it? Uh, yeah. Okay. Ready for this? So Josie Altador has been publicly flirting with Peñarol in Uruguay. He's been like liking all their stuff, following them on Twitter, and uh, has been really, and it's made the news in Uruguay, the fact that (laughs) Altador is doing all of this. And so I started speaking to a couple of people, and then they said, so what's his salary? (laughs) <laughs> and I said, it's six million dollars a year. And they're like, oh, he's not coming here. <laughs> no, I, I was going to say that. There's no chance that Peñarol can afford his contract. Exactly. That's why I said, can I start a rumor and then kill it? And then we've got uh, Rudy Galetti. Well, we had heard this earlier today from Sky Sports. I think Sky Sports broke it. But Rudy Galetti says, checkmark, done deal. Patrick Vieira, the new Crystal Palace manager three-year contract official announcement in the next 24 hours. So, so Patrick's back in the game. How about that? Oh, that's good. Yeah. It's exciting for him. Yeah, absolutely. Now we'll have and they to, get uh, new uniforms this year too. keep an eye on crystal palace. Not that it matters, but he was anywhere from the third to fifth choice from everything that you hear and read. So uh, that's the way it goes, man. That's why you get jobs sometimes. Now he's got to come in and kick ass. Well, and then, uh, well, for Spurs fans, that means that Favre is now back in play for Spurs. If anybody mm-hmm. wants to take that job, yeah, because it's been everybody's been turning it down, and they're like, no thanks, no thanks, thank you, no thanks. Hey, and he's I, like number seven right now. Can I? I want to get back to Toronto for a second, and I actually played this uh, uh, cut at halftime. I'm not going to play it now, but. Did any of you see the uh, post-match press conference? Toronto uh, lost their last match in uh, really just they gave up a goal four minutes in. They ended up losing two nil to, you know, who FC Cincinnati at home. Toronto was home and it was like the sixth goal they've surrendered uh, in the first 15 minutes of the game out of 20 conceded. So that uh, John Molinero actually was the guy that asked the question afterwards about that, you know, you and if you Chris Armas, his responses to questions, he was he was talking in a third person like, well, maybe Chris Armas isn't, uh, you know, setting things up the right way. It, and he was kind of stammering a little. I felt so bad because I like Chris Armas, but he was oh, it was very painful, very painful to listen to. And, you know, they're what are they? One, seven and two or got the same record as Chicago. Um, and you got to figure those two guys are the ones on the hottest of seats, uh, him and uh, yeah. Yeah. Rafael Vicky at Chicago. But um, it you, was you just, would uh, have to think so. Yeah. So Toronto only has one win. Wow. Two ties and seven losses, 12 goals scored, 20 allowed, five points tied with Chicago with five points after 10 games. Dead last behind into Miami and Cincinnati. I was going to say that Phil Neville is almost in the same position as these as these guys as uh, 
Chris Armas and and, and the other. You think ones. so? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. The team is maybe to, uh, Miami is, is 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 the worst team in MLS. I mean, they play playing awfully. I mean, the results are not that bad, but yeah, they are unbelievably bad, very bad. His post games are pretty interesting too. You know, oh yeah, it's, it's almost oh, yeah. You know how well they're playing and. It's it's pretty counter to what you're saying right now, uh, Ariel. I like uh, when there was he, a lot he, of talk. Yeah, when he speaks about philosophy, he always speaks about philosophy. He's trying to uh, bring to to Inter Miami, and, and and that's all he says. And I don't understand that. I don't I don't understand how uh, the local press in Miami copes with that. I I don't get it. Well, there's only really one reporter out there, so it's one newspaper that really covers them, right? I mean, because that's what Miami is, so uh, the Miami Herald. But well, um, yeah, there's Franco Panizzo. They're 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 oh well, right. I mean, three four guys that, yes, that you're right. attend yeah. regularly to the press conferences. But anyway, that yes. that's. I apologize for that. You're correct. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, I don't know what the, the Sentinel covers for them. That I, I should check that. Um, the one thing I wanted to tell you was that from Mexico, there's a lot of rumors that Rodolfo Pizarro was supposedly wanted in Mexico, and they said maybe Chivas, and they were talking about a lot of other teams. I know that Neville said that one that two things. One, he's hurt. Two, he's not leaving. So uh, he basically tried to put the kibosh on that. But uh, I, I don't know. I keep on looking at Neville in Miami in the same way that I saw Frank DeBoer with Atlanta, that you're trying to put too many square pegs into round holes. It's not the type of team that he would want to have. It's not the right personnel for somebody like him. You, you can't take, I mean, we saw what happened with Atlanta and now we're seeing it again with Miami, but I mean, Miami went from being a bad team or so-so team to being a really bad team. You know, Atlanta was a great team, became a meddling to bad team. But you can't take, I don't think that you can take guys who have very different philosophies on how to play and replace one with the other. Unless, you know, especially, you know, if, you, if you're doing okay. If you're a really, really bad team, right, then maybe you want to switch things around. Uh, they were so, so bad. You know, they looked like they were a couple of players away of maybe fixing what their issues are or bringing in another coach that had similar philosophies that maybe could get more out of the players. But we saw what happened in Atlanta where you took a Tata Martino team and you try and you bring in a Frank DeBoer who just doesn't understand how to play the same way and ruined it. And I think that Miami, in a lesser extent, but almost in a more dramatic extent because of how poorly they're playing, uh, has done the same thing. The Boer resigned for the Netherlands today. Did you see that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, I, I think basically he was basically said either we're going to push you off the cliff or you jump in. Which one do you want to do? And I think he jumped. No, I don't think he even gave him that chance. He said my evaluation is coming up soon, so I figured I would quit. I don't think he even <laughs> said anything to him. That was his quote. It's like, well, uh, I've got my evaluation upcoming, so I'm just going to make it easy for them uh, and <laughs> drop off. Uh, and then you got uh, so we talked about the guys who are, you know, maybe close to getting the axe uh, in MLS. But uh, and Matias Almeida, you know, I know there's been a lot of chatter about him, but San Jose, they dismissed their general manager today, Jesse Fiorinelli. So uh, and the staff is intact, but they have San Jose's got seven losses, which is tied with Chicago and Toronto for the most losses in MLS. So they, uh, particularly recently, Ariel, they've been poor. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And um, I don't know if people know that, but Almeida was very close to Fioranelli. In fact, Fioranelli's dad, who is an Italian, or was an Italian guy, was the, the man that hired Almeida when he was a player to, to come to play for Lazio in Italy. So they know... Wow. Uh, families know each other from a long time. And, and he mentioned that when he joined uh, the earthquakes. So there's a. Uh, so what you're saying there, possibly that uh, Almeida could be next just because maybe his support system is gone. 
I'm not, yeah, yeah. He 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 his support is gone, and he knows that uh, maybe he's next. I don't know. Usually, these guys like Almeida react before they get the the axe. So we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. The situation is not is not good for for him actually. They brought in a defender, right, Nathan? Yeah, yeah, a Brazilian defender, Brazil. So- Yeah, maybe he can help them a little bit. I mean, they're, they're just nightmarish all over the place. But, uh, they, you know, they got some good pieces. But, you know, they, they, they need a lot more. It's not exactly a team that spends a ton of money. And if they're going to succeed in this league, you know, you're going to have to start spending more money. You can't be the guys just always at the back, at, at the bottom. And I think that I think that MLS did themselves a disservice in the last contract by not putting a floor along with a ceiling as far as salaries are concerned. So like the NBA has a ceiling on what you can spend, but it also has a floor. So this stops teams from doing what Donald Sterling did with the Clippers before they sold it, where he wouldn't spend a lot of money on players and then he would be raking in millions of dollars. So when the NBA, you've got to be able to spend, you can't spend less than 85% of what the top salaries are for per team. And I think MLS is going to have to start doing that so we don't have the haves and the have-nots. At I least think not a- money-wise. If you have it because of the lack of talent as far as decision-makers are concerned, that's a different ballgame, but not because you're cheap. Maybe we should save this topic, but there's um, there's too many teams in MLS as far as providing uh, – and down quality. I mean, there's a, there are a lot of teams that I would not pay money to watch. And I don't mind saying it. Chicago, Toronto, Miami, Miami's got Gonzalo Higuain, one of my favorite strikers. And I don't feel like watching them. Cincinnati, uh, Montreal. Well, my, we'll see Montreal. I've only seen Montreal, uh, DC United, you know, they're getting, you know, they're a little entertaining, so I'm not going to, uh, Let's see. Nashville's on here. You know, Nashville's having success, but they're no fun to watch. But it might be easier to just name the teams you would watch. (laughs) (laughs) But but I mean, but in addition, these are some of these are really poor teams. They're just are we saying they're poorly coached? Do they not have the personnel? Well, I I think uh, we're reaching and now we're going to keep reaching into it. Who's coming in now? Sacramento. Who am I? uh, Sacramento. Charlotte. Sacramento's not coming in. Charlotte. Sacramento's not coming in. That that uh, that that was basically taken away from them because their main investor dropped out. Okay, Charlotte. uh, uh, Let's just talk about who's coming in. All right. Sacramento's not. Charlotte. St. Louis. St. Louis. And then aren't we up to 30? We have 27 now. Is it 27? Yeah. Yeah. So it's going to be go, 30. But who's the 30th? That's what I'm thinking. Well, Sacramento. It's supposed but, to be Sacramento, but uh, Sacramento's now out. So now it's a toss up. Oh, like Las Vegas and stuff. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. There's a Las Vegas interest. There's San Diego. Winter, San Diego. Probably yeah. Strong. Sacramento, Maybe. to a certain extent, is still alive as they try to find somebody else with deep pockets to uh, replace the money that left. Uh, but, uh, you know, Garber started talking them down. So, you, you, you know, that's not a good sign. Well, maybe New Brunswick could have a team that you should have mentioned. New Brunswick's got a stadium. Like, it's Memorial Stadium. It holds 2000, man. It's, it'd be good. There you go. Yeah. That's, uh, the, and, the team well, that you didn't mention that you should mention as far as boring and all that is the Vancouver Whitecaps. Yeah, yeah. That, their they're, coach they're, is on the hot seat, too. Yeah, Vancouver. Two wins, I, two ties, and six losses. So. Yeah, I like I And I like him. I like him. So, uh Dos Santos, Mark Dos Santos. Um, yeah, I like uh, Colorado starting to play some soccer. Galaxy, you know, Vanny is uh, stirring his magic there. Kansas City, Seattle, Minnesota, they're they're fine. Houston, we gotta give Tab, you know, a chance to keep uh, pushing that along. They're in playoff range, so that's good for them. Yeah, Port- Portland is interesting. I-, I like watching Portland. I guess RSL is better do. under Freddie. So LAFC, Bradley, you know, you know, they're going to capture the. All right. So that's four in the West that I would just not pay to watch. And one, two, three, four, five, six, maybe seven in the East. <laughs> so speaking of the West, Chicharito yes. Hernandez continues to pay dividends this year. It shows that 
paying attention, working hard, and getting yourself straight mentally and physically makes a difference. Ten goals in ten games, got another two in their victory that. over San Jose, and uh, he's not going to the Mexican national team. <laughs> so he's not going to be in Gold Cup. And did you see the? There was a, there were a couple of tweets today and yesterday saying, uh, okay, the, the 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 trainer that trained Chicharito is really good because he he's fit and he's running and he's smart and he's what about getting that guy in order to work with Bella because people at the LFC see see Bella a little bit out of shape right now and I think they are correct. I mean, he's a little yeah. bit out of the his best performance right now. Hmm. Well, Only has it. one goal so far. He did come off an injury. Remember, he got hurt in the first game of the year, like after 22 minutes, and there was that whole thing where the, he got taken out where he wasn't supposed to be taken out, but probably should have been taken out. And uh, it's taken him time to get back into uh, to 100% shape. Yeah. No doubt hey, about it. Now, you know, every week MLS puts out their power rankings. Every week we can do teams Glenn wouldn't pay to watch. We'll see who is on yeah, the list and if, see if anybody comes I'll off. Rank him. I'll rank yeah. him. I, I have no problem with that. I have no problem with that. I think you gets uh, relegated to your non-watch list. There's got to be the blend of there's got to be a blend of a desire to watch and success. You've got coaches have to be able to figure out how uh, they can make their product entertaining. And Look, fun players. I, I will say that I enjoy watching Inter Miami, although they are horrible. I I I I, <laughs> I, I watch them because it's fun to see them be Ooh. so bad, be so bad. What <laughs> what team what team or country historically has been super successful but not fun to watch? Oh, Italy. Yeah, well, that's that's old that's old news. I think I think this year they're, yeah. they're fun. No, seriously, this year they're fun, but they're not always fun. No, Italy was typically the league where you could have, and that's why Pirlo struggled at times. You got a lot of time on the ball, you know, and they didn't start defending, you know, until you got about 45, 40 yards uh, to the opponent's goal. You know, that's the, it, it, there was a lot of that going on in Syria, you know, a few years back, but uh, more, more recently over the last two, at Atlanta, one of the best soccer playing teams in the world. They are as entertaining as, uh, as any team in the world to watch. Um, so I don't know if we answered your question, Tom. Like as a country, you know, the, the Scandinavian countries used to be just real direct, just total, you know, direct flick ons, you know, and if you like that kind of upbeat sort of play, but now they're, I'm telling you, they, they're influenced by, uh, by other coaches that come from other countries or their, their own coaches are, um, are latching on. You talked about Ronnie Dyla in Norway. I mean, you know, he's a bar, you know, he wants to coach Barcelona. You know, I mean, I, that's the way he that's the way he wants his teams to play like a Barcelona, you know, Norwegian football 10 or 15 years ago, you know, and it's partly due to their climate. But it, it was direct football, man. Route one or whatever they call it. I missed the most obvious one. But remember, remember Greece and the Euros, the Euro that they won in Portugal. Oh, they were bad, really bad. Oh, they were horrific. But they won. Yeah. Yeah. But that's a that that's probably the worst team. The only team that the, the only people who enjoyed that were, were were the Greeks who were rooting for them, and they got it. They got to win a championship, and congratulations on that. But is the uh, non-fan soccer fan, right? You you hated to watch them. It was horrible. I don't like I don't like watching Seattle. At their home park, I think that's a terrible field. I, I don't like watching games on that field, whatever it's called now. Lumen, Lunen, Lumen Field, Lumen, Lumen Field, yeah. And what's this Columbus? This Columbus loan? What did we say, Aria? Is it loan? Lower that come lower, lower that come field, yeah. And lower is what an insurance cut? What is lower? Is yeah, fi some financial thing. Yeah, some financial things in order in order to be able to buy an apartment or something like that. Yeah. Lower.com stadium. Yes, that's, that's you so know the good. The funny thing that you mentioned that Glenn about the, about their field. So when Mexico played in Atlanta, right? Yeah. Mexico normally demands 
that and the same way with the U.S. Right, that you they put down if you're going to play in a stadium with artificial turf, that you put down grass. And, you know, and a lot of times those temporary grass fields aren't all that good. Tata Martino was like, "Yeah, we'll play on the turf. We'll play on the turf, not a problem." And I was really surprised by that because I was, you know, as I'm looking at the field, I'm like, that just looks like the turf field. And I actually wrote Gabe Gabor and I'm like, did they not change the field? And he goes, no, Tata said it was fine. I was like, okay. Well, that's the first time I've I've seen Mexico say, yeah, fine, no big deal. Well, he had a lot of fun there coaching on the turf. So maybe that was it, you know, it was a good feel for him. But maybe that field isn't, you know, as... I want to say as bad as uh, as Seattle's, but I mean they change those fields over pretty often. They have those hybrid fields now. I don't understand why everybody doesn't go to that. I mean they've got the money, right? I mean that's an NFL product, Seattle, where they play, and Seattle, by the way, the only team uh, without a loss in MLS, and they have a pretty massive home field advantage. Supporters number one, but also the surface, and they've got a good Vancouver tied them two two. How about that? And I got Rui Diaz. All right, boys. Let's uh, bring this one to a close. New York's next game, July 7th, midweek match against Montreal. First meeting of what will be two quick ones in July. Glenn, where can people follow what you're up to these days on social media and the Coaching Academy, of course? Of course. The Coaching Academy, my last two shows, I had Bob Bradley on one and Robin Fraser on the other, and they were both excellent, you know, and they're, they're educators, you know, so it was really good stuff. And then tomorrow I've got these guys from Australia. Uh, it's called the Player Development Project, and they, um, they, do, they have a lot of good ideas about coaching, but it's, this show is particularly for youth coaches who are inexperienced or maybe haven't coached before, and they're offering a course and I really like the sound of it. So I gave him a chance to a chat about that. And then we get into some other things as well. And I did want to mention about Montreal, the next opponent. They've dropped 10 points after the 70th minute in their matches this year. So look out for the latter stages. That's what is it? Tiago and Tylus coming off the bench in the 70th minute to uh, perhaps be Montreal, who have surrendered 27 shots. 21 shots, uh, 48 shots in their last two matches. The draw to D.C. United and a 1-1 draw with Nashville. So they got results of those two matches. But, man, New York City should get some chances. We'll see. That's it for me, Tom. Thank you. Roberto? I thought, Glenn, that you were going to put in the goal calls for, uh, for the Tiago goal in the podcast. All right. Well, look, so let's call for it now. So before we leave and then. At the, the end of this, at the end of this, Roberto will give his clothes, which uh, I don't know what will be longer, these clips or his clothes, but uh, that's for you to determine <laughs> here as we as we do this. So I compiled a the call of the Tiago goal, which you know is the MLS goal of the year uh, and, ju- and not necessarily just in total inequality, but just the timing of it down a goal coming back park score he scores at the death. Fifth minute of stoppage time. I mean, there hasn't been a goal like that this year uh, in MLS. And so Joe Tollison, his call on the Yes Network, my call on the New York City FC Network, English, and Roberto's call on the uh, New York City FC Network, Spanish. So let's listen. Sean Johnson pulls this one down in front of Roberto. Quickly rolls it out. John's 3v2. This is Thiago Andrade. As Santiago Rodriguez in the middle. Andrade with his pace just blisters by Donovan Pines. Cuts into the middle. Thiago Andrade back to his left foot. And it's in! Thiago Andrade in stoppage time in the second half. And the big New York City keeper with the save. He rolls it out quickly to Thiago. It's a two-on-two break. Thiago does wisely by pushing it past Donovan Pines. He's at the top of the area. Back to his left. Here's a shot. It's a goal on the counterattack for Thiago. Y ahora New York City quiere salir a velocidad. Ya no está otra vez tirado. Aquí viene Thiago. Thiago se lleva Pines. Thiago va sobre meta. Lo alcanza Pines. Hace el quiebre. El tiro. Gol. 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 De Thiago. All right, Roberto, take I it away. I have some news for you, by the way. Well, take those, both those goals, or that goal, is not part of the goal of the week this week in MLS. 
It's well, not nominated. The goals that are nominated are Nani's, Luciano Acosta, that was a good goal. Sullivan, which is pretty nice, and Ricardo Pepe. They're all really nice goals. Those are all good goals. Yeah, but I think this one, with everything that went into it, is a better goal. I would have voted for a goal of the week. So it's not and nominated not for goal of the week. I called it the MLS goal of the year, and it wasn't nominated yeah. for goal of the week. Okay, yeah. well, there you go. Yeah. All right, Roberto, where can people follow you? Uh, they can follow me on Twitter at Rob Abramowitz, on Facebook at Roberto Abramowitz Oficial, Ariel and I. Uh, both calls the game in, call the games in Spanish on nycfc.com slash radio. Uh, our, we start 15 minutes before the, the game time with our pregame show. And we have uh, normally Efrain Juarez as our guest, Ronnie's assistant coach. And then on Facebook, on my Facebook page, we have a Facebook Live that we do 90 minutes before the game. So if that's a 7.30 game, our next game against Montreal, then we will have a Facebook Live at 6 o'clock on Roberto Abramowitz Oficial on Facebook. So catch us there. All right. And Ariel, I know you do a lot of coverage for MLS in Spanish. Where can people find that? Um, FootballMLS.com. That's MLS Espanol. There's a sort of a rebranding of the whole thing. So... Over there and uh, Twitter on at Ariel Judas, arieljudas.com. Uh, sorry, at Ariel Judas. That's that's my Twitter. And your website. I like it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> all, the, all the things. All right. For Glenn, Roberto, and Ariel, who, again, thank you for joining us. Thank you, guys. You're welcome back anytime. I'm Tom. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of Soccer in the City. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.